to Paragami. I am Risa Arai. Over recent years, there has been a steady decline in the levels of trust in politicians. The MP's expensive scandal in 2009 and 2010 seriously contributed to this trend. The British were very angry about the misuse of permitted allowances and overclaiming of expenses by members of parliament. Let's、uh, return now to、uh, MP's expenses. The Daily Telegraph, of course, has been revealing details for the last three or four days about the expenses、uh, of several MPs and ministers. They include. Another cabinet minister, another second home, another expenses row. James Pennell sold his London flat in 2004. He told the Commons it was his second home, allowing him to claim expenses. He told the taxman it was his first home, avoiding capital gains tax. The stories today are the most lurid yet. Michael Ancram claimed more than £14,000 a year for gardening, cleaning his pool, and a cottage in his grounds. Citizens' outrage was further provoked by MPs' attempts to prevent disclosure under freedom of information legislation. However, recent research has found that voters did not punish them electorally. A lot of MPs who were embroiled in the financial scandal were still re-elected in the 2010 election. Good evening, and what an extraordinary campaign it's been! It began as a two-horse race. It ended with three starters at the line, and in four minutes' time, when we have our exit poll, we'll have the first indication of who's the winner, if indeed there is a clear winner. Whether David Cameron becomes the first Tory Prime Minister in 13 years. I spoke to Dr. Jessie Taloff of the London School of Economics about her research on MPs' individual political accountability and elections. When the expenses scandal hit, my co-authors and I, Dr. Nick Vivian and Dr. Marcus Wagner, decided that we could use the British election study, the panel survey data, to actually exploit variation on an individual MP level to see if MPs were punished for their bad behavior or their quote bad behavior. We're interested in that ends in electoral sanction, where MPs would be punished for their behavior. So the steps in the chain include the perceptions, where people form a coherent perception of their MP's behavior, and then we look at how that translates into how they behave. So we find that public perception actually does respond to available information about individual MPs. That said, about half of respondents that we studied didn't actually. Know whether or not their MP had overclaimed on their expenses. So there still is that issue, which is quite prominent in the literature, that people don't even know who their MP is, for instance. But we do find that there is a relationship between the perception of an MP's guilt, i.e., that they had overclaimed in the additional cost allowance, and whether or not they thought that they were guilty. But then when we Move on to measuring whether or not that translates into sanctioning that MP. We find that individual British voters are about five percent less likely to vote for their MP if they believe that they were implicated in the scandal. A five percent reduction in the odds is not actually that tremendous when you consider how much outrage there was over the scandal. Data shows from the British election study that you know eighty percent of British voters were. Absolutely up in arms about the scandal, but then you think that that should translate into more than a five percent reduction. 
other aggregate studies have shown from Patty and Johnston and Andy Eggers as well has done one that there was about a 1.5 percentage point loss for MPs who had been implicated in the scandal, which is also not a tremendous amount when you think about the amount of points that it takes to decide a race. So generally, it's, I wouldn't say, an uplifting result for the uh, status of individual political accountability in Britain. Um, largely, we're still looking at a situation where people make their decisions based on the national level. So what party they want in power versus who they want um, to be their individual MPs as they make a choice of the ballot box for their MP and for the government at once. Your research paper suggests that 93% of voters have heard of the scandal. Over 90% said the scandals made them very angry, and 80% of voters thought corrupt MPs should resign. But in reality, half of those MPs were still re-elected. Why did it happen? There was a high level of retirement at this election, so a lot of MPs did stand down, but over 50% did choose to stand again. So it's not like everyone who was implicated decided not to run again. And I think the main issue is that there are a number of factors that affect vote choice at any given election. And this just, in the end, didn't end up being a salient enough factor for people to base their vote decision on. When you think of the fact that we were in the midst of a recession, or I guess we were in the double dip at that point, that people were going to vote on the basis of the economy, let's say, and who they thought that would be in better position to bring the UK out of recession rather than who they thought had fiddled with their expenses. And I think that if you look at data on trust levels in politicians over the last 30 years, MPs actually are only trusted about 15 to 20 percent to tell the truth anyway. So there's a baseline level of distrust and disdain for politicians generally that I think really informs this research. So while people might be upset about it or purport to be upset about it, in reality, this is not something that they feel is going to change the culture, generally speaking, or something that they feel like they want to use their vote to affect. And this has been going on um, in the UK. My PhD research also looked at this. I looked at the 1997 general election when there were a whole slew of MPs that were implicated in scandals and controversies, and there was very little effect on the election based on this. So this is a keeping up a, a long, a long-standing tradition in the UK of people being very angry and outraged, and demanding inquiries and investigations into MP behavior, but then not using the election as a sanctioning mechanism to deal with that. So you mean that the fact that the MPs were involved in corruption does not really become a striking factor for their voting decisions. The economy is always the most salient factor in someone's decision as to who they're going to vote for. So I think it's just an issue of that when push comes to shove, there are things that are more important to people. And they also don't necessarily believe that the political class is ever going to become better. They have just an overall negative perception of the institution, and that is unwavering. And scandals like this, I believe, do damage to the system. But... At the same time, you look at results like this, what actually happened at the election, and you think this is the, you know, this is the most 
egregious British political scandal, certainly in the last few decades, and there was almost no electoral effect. So you have a very disengaged and cynical electorate that is not going to be voting on this basis, no matter how angry they are. You know, how much money in their, is in their pockets is going to be way more important than whether they think that their MP overclaimed. Now, there are obviously instances where it was affected a voter's choice. But overall, you certainly can't say that, and I don't see that becoming a prominent factor in a, in a voter's choice anytime soon. If the public wants to exclude those corrupt MPs, what should they do? Well, I mean, the easiest、um, answer to that is that they should use their vote that way. They should take a stand in, the, in that sense. But at the same time, when you think about the institutional design, There's not really a lot of room for people to be able to make that decision. If you're thinking that there are important issues out there to you, like the economy, education, the NHS, et cetera, you're going to have very strong opinions based on those of whether you want conservative or labor or liberal Democrats.、Um, and obviously, right now we have a,、um, a coalition government, which I think actually will be the case again in 2015.、Um, so you can encourage people to vote. On that basis. But it is a hard argument to make that they should vote,、um, vote out their MP or vote for an MP on the basis of ethics when you feel so strongly about issues that might more directly affect your daily life, i.e., how much money you're going to pay in taxes. Things that could be done in order to kind of engender more trust. In politicians and in the government more generally, is to have, for instance, more competition within parties or local primaries and make it and encourage MPs to do more constituency work so that they're more closely connected to the average British voter. And I believe that that would then better make the case. For a personal connection between an MP and a voter. But I don't know if that's likely to happen. I know that these ideas are thrown around, but it doesn't necessarily seem at this point that anything's going to be done. In 2011, we had the AV referendum, which got shot down, and people are very attached to the Westminster system. They don't want to change in that way, but they continue to be very angry about the system. And It's a, a difficult position to be in to be、um, advocating for a change that people are clearly not、um, going to go for. So, the voting system can be said to contribute to the small measure of individual political accountability in the UK. You are saying that the system clearly prevents people from using elections as a sanction mechanism. Is there any comparable research in other countries with different systems? Do they provide different levels of accountability? Well, it depends what other countries you're talking about. I mean, it would be different in the US, for instance. Right. If you look at the 1992 house banking scandal, you would find a dramatically different result.、Uh, previous studies in the US have found that people who have scandals lose between、um, 6 and 11 percentage points at the polls. So in, the, in the US, The system is very candidate centered. So people have opinions of individual politicians and they also、um, take the time to find out what the personal decisions that their congressmen and representatives have taken. In the UK, that's not the case. It's very costly to gather information. And as the paper shows, you know, over half of people don't even know. 
the answer to whether or not their MP overclaimed in the expenses scandal. So when you start with that low level of information, it's really not that surprising that we have results like a 5% reduction in the chance and the probability of voting for their MP at the next election. The British institutional system does not encourage people to individually punish MPs. It encourages them to vote for parties more generally. So yes, I would expect that you would have a different result based on the way that the system works on a per country basis. I mean, the British system is incredibly rigid this way. Right. Thank you very much. And so the last question is about, do you expect this research to have an impact on the public's political behavior? I think that people should think about this gap, what happens between constituents developing perceptions of MP behavior and then not feeling able or inclined to sanction them at the polls and what the effect of having a party dominant system is on individual level political accountability. Because I think everyone would say that they would hope that individual politicians would be held accountable for their behavior. But the way that the system works just does not encourage using elections as an accountability mechanism for representative misconduct, which I think is a tremendous problem. So there needs to be more discussion and research into ways that we can reform the system in order to encourage that. That's my wish and hope. I hope you enjoyed this program. We have a transcript, relevant information, and related links about this research on our website, podacademy.org. Also, we have a variety of other podcasts on new research findings. Thank you for listening to our programs. See you soon.